0: Indonesia, I love you, Bali bagus <laughs> and datang.
1: Hi, you're listening to Season 2 of Love, Life, Millennials. Have a listen and enjoy. Alright, today I am very excited to do this episode because, well... Now you already listen to the sound, we are recording this podcast over a glass of wine. I don't know if any of you guys have ever taken a look into the podcast logo, but there was a cocktail image on it. The idea behind that is for us to be able to talk casually, but at the same time still able to engage in some deep talks, you know, because when we are tipsy, we things can get kind of juicy. <laughs> but anyway, today is with the grapes, with the wines. Um, our guest for today is someone that I met just recently we got into talking and I just find him really interesting uh, and I figured that he would be able to share us with some wonderful stories and experience that he has also for my fellow Indonesians this person has is very familiar with Bali uh, he actually lived there for quite a while and he ran business there but enough about me let's Give you yourself a little bit of introduction first. Tell us who you are, what you do, anything really.
0: Well, thank you very much for the kind words. My uh, name is Christian and yeah. I come from Northern Europe.
1: Glad to have you here, yeah. So, how are you? Like, what's 2020 is like for you?
0: <laughs> 2020 has been, uh, I assume for most people, a very uh, strange year. Yeah. And I assume many are tilting towards negative uh, stories and experiences, but some also positive. My year started out with a New Year's resolution that it's going to be a good year because 2019 was was not a good year uh, either for me. Regardless of that, 2020 then started out of uh, difficult because at the end of 2019, um, my company that I was running at the time was involved in uh, the real estate business um, and it was an asset light play on uh, residential homes in central CBD Shanghai. And we can get into the details about it. But before I get to that, I think it's interesting for your listener to hear how I ended up in Shanghai. Yeah, sounds good. And coming from North uh, Europe, Scandinavia, uh, we have a utopian society. It's very different from Indonesia. And my country has a lot of wealth and a very good educational system. So after I graduated high school, uh, I went to the army. Uh, After six months in the army, I studied at at a good school in the United Kingdom in London. And I met a lot of people from all over the world. Some of them, I decided that after making some money, let's uh, go on an adventure and start a company together. So I returned to my home country and worked in an investment bank, one of the biggest investment banks in my country. And I was mainly uh, working towards uh, institutional investors. That means uh, hedge funds and pension funds located on the East Coast of America, United States, New York in Malin, London, and also uh, in Switzerland. After doing that for three years, I, I was raising a lot of capital for companies and uh, some were good companies, some were not. I started in 2008, so it was an interesting time because the financial markets, as you know, I yeah. uh, went through the great financial crisis. Wow. Uh, so all my competition kind of lost their client base. So it's, I started out as a, uh, like a fair uh, playing field. Mm-hmm. Everybody had to reset and, and start over. Being... Uh, major in finance with a, with a bachelor in business and administration, uh, stockbroking was what I thought was what I wanted to do, but it's very different. And back in the days, you remember movies such as, you know, Wall Street and yeah. Gordon Gecko. all this, they were, you know, viewed as cool. But, you know, after the financial crisis, uh, many are frowned upon and blamed for ruining lives. And to a certain extent, that is true. It wasn't what I thought it and hoped that it would be. So I left the industry in hopes of pursuing my own investments. After doing that for a year, I realized that uh, it's a lot harder to uh, make a living for yourself. It's good to invest all those people money, Mm -hmm. but trading for your own money is very difficult. And I I didn't make any big advances or no big losses. I pretty much stayed stayed (laughs) status quo, but during this period, One of my uh, best friends from university had uh, already been in China for three years and he was doing sourcing business. That means facilitating for companies that want to have production or whatever, or certain goods in China. They would then help you find factories or whatever that can provide those products. Scandinavia, where I'm from, we have a very rich candy culture. And candy consumption in Scandinavia is among the highest in the world per capita compared to, let's say, America. Uh, In in Scandinavia, you're looking at 25 kilos per capita per year versus America is around 12, 15, maybe. Uh, You can fact check this. The the, the numbers might be a bit updated. But however, China has a lot of population. But if you look compared to Asian demographics, Japan, Korea around 5, 6, 7, 8 kilos, China is still less than 0.5. So, there's a big mega trend of consumption. I assume today is a lot higher than what it was when I was actively operating the company. But I came here to exploit this market, this trend. And the first company we started here is still well alive today. We have some big multinational companies uh, that are uh, serving as a big cash cow for us to invest as capex into um, production, into uh, logistics, but mainly into brand building. Yeah. And, and starting a company in China as an entrepreneur without speaking the language in itself it can be very difficult and especially in an industry such as the food industry. Yeah. Because there's a lot of liabilities that come unless you uh, operate within the laws. And let's say, God forbid, someone would have any sort of, you know, negative experience by eating our candy. Let's say if there would be some sort of lethal thing put inside the candy, whatever, and, and someone would suffer or worst case die from that. The implications are very serious. So it's a, yeah. it's a very, uh, gives you a reality coming here and, and you've got to do things the right way because you're dealing effectively with people's health. Our... Northern Europe, the Scandinavian culture has a very good candy culture. We have the best candy quality of the world. So it means that we have no high fructose corn syrup, it's only real sugar. There's no artificial coloring or flavoring. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's as natural as it is good. I'm not saying candy is still good for you, but <laughs> Chinese consumers, by the way, the cons- Chinese consumers are among the smartest consumers that I've ever encountered. I can tell you about that later. However, people are willing to spend extra for their kids' well-being. And, and that counts for candy as well. So the company did very well and it grew to a size where my lack of uh, Chinese skills together with my partners meant we had to hand it over to someone more experienced. And uh, we got a deputy CEO of a multinational candy company that is in Indonesia and all over the world to take over our candy company and take it further and, and today the company is very successful. I have sold half of my shares but I am sticking on to the rest in case it becomes a very big and, and company. I don't want to be the guy who yeah. sold early. And then you asked me how was 2020, like half the most of the money that I made from that I took to invest with some other partners into a real estate company. Yeah. And to give you a breakdown of the business, you have to understand that Shanghai is a very unique city. The central part of Shanghai is dominated by uh, lane houses and very nice, beautiful streets. It's kind of like a European feel to it. And there's a lot of buildings, low rises that has been built, let's say in the 70s, 80s. Some in the 90s, and then you have the new fancy building that's been built in the 2000s or later. Yeah. And the living standards in China has, of course, increased massively. And if you look at the real estate prices in China, they have grown with a 12% compound annual growth rate. Mm-hmm. For those who are not very familiar with finance, that means that home prices to buy them has pretty much effectively doubled every five, six years. And this has been going on since the early 2000 until 2018-19. Of course, there was a little bit of a gap in 2008, but the market has steadily on average grown that. If you look at rental prices, they're way below, they're around 5%. And with the influx to a city like Shanghai, there's 400 to 500,000 people every year that move to this city in hope of a better, better life. And with better living standards, better paying jobs, the city has, of course, a higher demand for better living standards. Mm -hmm. So there's a big discrepancy of properties in prime locations that are of outdated standards, that are in severe need of upgrades. And there's a big arbitration you can play on securing those older properties Mm -hmm. on long-term contract. Let's say in an ideal situation, maybe 10 years, and if you're a really good negotiator, you can maybe rent an apartment for 5,000 RMB mm-hmm. per month, yeah, and you pay that for the next eight years. That's your contract. But in the contract, it will say that you gotta pay the rent within 30 working days. If not, the owner has the right to take the property back. Mm-hmm. And if you are smart and can allocate capital efficiently, mm-hmm. you can pretty affordably make a lot of upgrades that raises the rental value of that property. Mm -hmm. which means that effectively you can invest X amount and have that amount returned fully within let's say two years. Then you still have the property for let's say another five to seven, eight years depending on your negotiation where you will pretty much almost double your money on the rental on every month. And that is Mm -hmm. the business that we started. And it went very well. Uh, We grew very quickly and we were completely self-funded. Myself and two other entrepreneurs, but the biggest lesson I've learned, just to make a long story short, is that you must always plan for the worse. Yeah. <laughs> because if you would say to me that the world would be what it is today, mm-hmm. at this time last year, I would not believe you. And at this time last year, unfortunately, we managed to unsuccessfully finish negotiations with a company for a big investment amount. The reasons I will go into, but let's say that there are a conflict of interests among shareholders, which leads to a lot of difficult negotiations. Mm -hmm. And that resulted in us having set up the organization Mm -hmm. for very aggressive growth without having the capital 100% secure. So the day the capital then did not arrive, combined with a month later, COVID entering the scene. Wow. We were facing a situation where, at the time, we had already managed to lose some assets because our cash flow was uh, severely impacted by reduction of staff. Mm -hmm. Once COVID hit, our portfolio had already shrinked. However, I received a notice from the local police officer, what we call bureau in the different districts where we operated, three different districts, that Airbnb short-term rentals would have to be suspended immediately. Mm Uh, Which pretty much accounted for 60% of our monthly rental. Yeah. And the 40 remaining percent accounted for bigger apartments, such as the one you are sitting in now, which we rented out to mainly expats and corporate customers. It could be such companies such as China Construction Bank. It could be Deutsche Bank. It could be Delta Airlines, whatever. Yeah. Those companies were shut down for months and their employees were stuck abroad because they all left for Chinese New Year's and some of them are not starting to return now. So I was bound to pay rental income, a rental cost on a portfolio that generated zero income, and that is not sustainable. So then we had to be smart and try to selectively choose which asset was worth keeping when the world stops and immigration shuts and nobody enters and your business is deemed sort of illegal overnight, uh, you have to face reality and see that this is not going to go well. Uh, and to get money into China as a foreign company is a complicated process. There are strict regulations and verifications regarding Chinese capital controls of how much money that entered. And it ended with pretty much us shutting down, handing back a lot of the properties, selling some, and this is the only asset left.
1: Did you have to pay like some penalty because you weren't able to, you know...
0: The penalty is that the investment, the significant investment that has been made up front in every single yeah, unit is lost. Because owner and ultimate beneficiary, the owner of the license of the property, has the right to legally take it back. So there was no forced majeure the clause. State. There are Chinese laws uh, regarding forced majeure situations, but they are uh, not easy to um, apply because the damage is already done in a way that the owner has reclaimed the asset and we can pursue a legal action which is costly and it does not guarantee anything and it will negatively affect uh yeah. the status that you have china is very aware of you know foreigners their behaviors and uh, i don't think it's the right way to go it's a very hard lesson and luckily we will soon come to why there's light in the end of the tunnel but 2020 for me started it started bad and it got worse and i managed to lose the second company that i started here and are about to sell the last assets as part of the closing down of the company so that I can now join the new company which I've been offered a job in. And uh, I'm now waiting just for the visa papers to be ordered uh, so that we can look forward <laughs> and, and leave 2019 and 20 behind. And uh, the past months have been good, so yeah, cheers that to sums that. up the, the story <laughs> of two twenty and my life in short.
1: I, I couldn't imagine how it must have been for you for the past one year. You've been through ups and downs and looking at all these challenges that you've faced. I mean, first of all, I'm just curious, like, for a person that knows completely nothing about China and just trying to come here based on the small fact, you know, first because of the candy. And now, second, you're trying to still venture to the property uh, refurbishment and design. What was the motivation behind it? Like, were you always uh, in pursuit of this kind of thing? Like, is this something that you have always been doing? Entrepreneurship, trying to find some arbitration.
0: So... Growing up in uh, Northern Europe, the quality of life is pretty good yeah. and growing up there was a very safe and a good environment for a kid and I would can highly recommend that. Saying that being born with a New- Northern European passport is a privilege in itself. There's a very different grow-up and educational system than what you might have in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And uh, my country has uh, uh, not even close to the population that your country has. <laughs> uh, my country actually has probably one-fifth of what your capital has, which oh. is Jakarta. Four. So when you grow up in a smaller country or maybe big of size but smaller in population, you quickly learn if you're privileged enough to go outside of your country's border that there's a lot more to the world than that. And me, who has uh, studied in London, met people from all over the world, very interesting people, many from privileged backgrounds, many from poor backgrounds, but from all over the world. And having come from a privileged background as well, I was allowed to travel a lot the world, especially with my dad when he was young, because my mom is a fearful flyer. She does not fly in airplanes. Mm -hmm. And I think Norwegians are uh, motivated by the pursuit of exploration is in our DNA <laughs> from uh, from going all the way <laughs> back, back into to history. the Vikings. Right? <laughs> so my ancestors, ancestors, they uh, they built boats and they explored, and and what they found outside our borders were treasures. Uh, they found new religions, and it has shaped the re- the, the society that we live in. And I'm not claiming to be a Viking, but what I'm claiming <laughs> to be is that uh, I, I studied finance and I, I am uh, a very generally interested in company analysis and looking at what is the thing that is worth money and the valuation of companies. Yeah. Uh, money has been the main motivator for me to go out of a very comfortable life as investment banking, making a very comfortable life for myself. Because I felt that the comfortable life that I had was not hard. Mm. I could show up to work, I could do my thing, I could make a good living. I had a car, I had an apartment. Life was good, I had no complaints. But some people are comfortable, some people seek to be comfortable. But I think people should step outside their comfort zone. And if you can, and a person that I look up to a lot, he said to me that if you want to take this risk and step out, like what motivates you? Well, I, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to be my own boss. The person said to me, you better go out there and take what's yours or claim what you want because most likely you will fail. It is better to fail young and hungry than old with responsibilities, a house that is mortgaged, a wife, two kids that you might have to pay for school. That will have severe consequences. But if you fail in your first or your second or your third or your fourth business, whatever it is, don't give up. Try until you can't anymore because you only learn from the mistakes. That motivated me because I knew I had the skills to make it. I had a social ability to adapt and speak and um, have interactions with people of many cultures because of my travels and seeing the world. And growing up in Norway, I learned about different religions and different cultures. So it's not hard for me to understand. It's easy for me to have a conversation. When we met the first time, I I know a lot about your country, that your Bintang beer bottle had 70 on it in 2017, and why foreigners are not allowed to own that. I, I have gained a lot of insight, and being in China for eight years, you see that the population motivates me to succeed, but the driver of success has been where I've been lying to myself. So, if you ask what motivates you, it shouldn't be money, which it was for me. It should be your passion. If you do that, money will come eventually. So, that is where I am right now in my life is that I have realized that the motivation behind my whole journey so far in my life has been to become even more financially stable. But what I realized is I was doing it for the wrong reasons. It wasn't what I was meant to do. I have a very big passion for martial arts. My participation in those disciplines, such as Mai Thai as well, has recently changed my life to a way better state. And it's also actually gained me new employment in a company which I could only dream at working on before. Mm. And I have taken a massive cut in quality of life to be able to get that position. I, as an entrepreneur, did it, made a decent living, but now my gross salary, my base salary has come down a lot because I'm resetting, I'm not doing it for the money, I'm doing it for the passion. I truly believe from one that has gone through it, passion is what you should do regardless because you will not succeed financially doing something you don't love to do. Hmm. It's, it sounds to me that when you
1: first started, you were so confident right, about the skills you are. You said you have enough social skills to adapt and you have also the technical knowledge but in the end, it went bad and then now those are the things that you're still grasping into for you to be able to reset or restart your business, right? But one thing that I found interesting is even when you were living, in your words, a privileged life, you still seek out risk, right? You wanted more. I mean, do you think this is something that is only possible when you are already at a stage of life, when you're already comfortable? What if, let's say, during those times, you still need some physiological needs that you haven't fulfilled yet? Would you still take out that risk? Would you still go outside the world?
0: I think you and everybody in the world should work with what they have. Okay. Because the way to succeed is by starting with nothing and making it step by step. Because as you know, Rome was not built in a day. Sure. But fortunes can be lost in a day. So well said. what I'm saying is that whatever you wanna do, just be honest to yourself. Don't care what people say. There's no right way to do anything. Work with what you have. And if you're genuine at what you do, and if you dedicate as much time that you think about doing what you wanna do, if you actually dedicate that time to doing what you wanna do, you'd already be successful. One of the things that you got to remember on your journey in life is that no means next opportunity and everyone's like afraid. What the fuck are you afraid of? The people that are the leaders of the society of the world today, every idea has been slammed by everyone until they prove them wrong. So don't listen to anybody but yourself, but be confident and and know that whatever journey you go on, don't quit, you're most likely to fail, but learn from the failures, don't repeat the failures, If you do that, over time eventually you will succeed. Background does not mean anything. I would say that the most successful people in the world are those who do not have anything that has fought from an early stage. And whatever you do, if you're privileged as well, there might be listeners that are privileged. Well, don't take advantage of it. Work with what you have and prove that you're worth getting the help you need. You should make it a habit to work or produce results that are more valuable than what you're being paid. If you have a habit to produce quality work that's more than what you're paid for, you will always have constant and never-ending like self-improvement which will take you to new stages. And uh, you got to start somewhere.
1: Right. But when you first mentioned about your passion in martial arts, was this always something that you have been doing when you were
0: 20s? Far from it. Even before. Far from it. So I, coming from Northern Europe, I come from a country that has uh, four very distinct seasons, uh, winter, spring, summer, fall. And winter is a big part, it's long and dark and it's very cold and I grew up skiing, it's a big part of my life and I've skied professionally in my young days. I did not like seeing people hit or hurt or have never been in a in a fight on the street in my life. Mm-hmm. But. After I came to Shanghai, I have uh, seen the explosive growth of mixed martial arts as a sport. And I have actually been offered a job as the Business Development Manager uh, and Corporate Sales Manager of uh, UFC China. We are entering the market and we will open uh, very aggressively the best high-end gyms for any person, whether they're a professional martial artist or a guy who's never done martial arts. We, we use combat DNA because UFC fighters, are the best athletes in the world so we use these fighters and all the technology that we have to be able to actually meet any fitness need that any person might have and we have the best ability to do so i'm very proud to be part of this company and i honestly have to say that me being aware of the martial arts and the growth that i saw coming from 2013-14 i've been paying attention i've been a big fan since 2014 i never thought i would work for this company yeah. But I started doing Mai Thai. I started doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I'm not going to say what rank and my skill level, but the best advice I can give to someone that that wants a change in their life is to get out of their comfort zone and try a martial arts discipline and learn the respect, learn the skills, be agile, get fit and get self Confidence, because you are able not only to protect yourself, but you will get a body that shows that you are confident, that attracts interest to you as a person, and and being able to defend yourself and those close to you is a very good <laughs> skill to have in a world yeah. that we live in, where, to be honest, a lot of crazy shit is going on. Yeah. So get out of your comfort zone, whether it's yoga, whether it's whatever it is, boxing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I can say that it changed my life for the better, and I and I've heard numerous stories about the same for others. Yeah. So I think it's something that uh, I actually have a gift for you, sir. Today. Oh. <laughs> which okay. is UFC Fit, 1000 worth value RMB. Oh where my you God. You can invite yourself and some friends to come and try any martial arts discipline that you might want. Wow. In Luka's way, which is the financial district in Shanghai, where we're opening the first gym. Wow. And, uh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to keep track of your podcast to see if martial arts <laughs> might change your life.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> No, yeah, but coming back to that, right, about the passion of martial art, it just came to you six years ago, which means this is recent, right? Whereas what you have been doing about the investment banking and all those candy and property, those... I can say that, I can infer from that, that those were not necessarily your passion.
0: Very clearly. As I said, financially, when we modeled them as business plans, they made sense. but. Being an entrepreneur in China without speaking the language fluent I can speak Chinese, but I cannot speak it in a business sense. That puts limitations. Once you failed here in China once, which my second company did, even though the first one is a success, I have always, since I came to China, been a boss, which you call a laoban here in China. I've never been working under a Chinese boss and the Chinese management style. And to me, that is um, a completely different setting. That I'm now getting familiar with. It's very different, but luckily, my lover is a very well-educated of Asian descent. However, he has spent the majority of his time abroad and went to the premier business school in the world. He's a very successful businessman. I have realized that there's very, very strict requirements in this job for me to actually uh, develop my language skills and become proficient in Chinese. And I have sort of given myself over to him and, and said that, okay, I'm gonna learn from the best, is a very successful businessman and see how that goes here. I think in China doing business here uh, they are very welcoming to foreigners here. I uh, genuinely believe that Shanghai is one of the best entrepreneurial cities in the world. If you manage to get here and can afford to get here, uh, you can actually live a quite affordable life outside of the city center, but you will meet people that are extremely opportunistic.
1: Hmm. I can vouch for that.
0: And I have been to Indonesia numerous times and I I love your country and I do believe that Indonesia and China relations, there's a lot of trade that will come between you, of course, but I do believe that Indonesians uh, need to recognize China's not too far away and and the opportunities that present itself here versus what your country currently are, are offering are substantially bigger. I don't know your background, how you got here. I do know there's many more Indonesians here. There's Indonesian restaurants and the only thing I can't find is Bintang Beer. (laughs) But I really, really do... um, I'll bring you one next time. uh, Please do. Bintang (laughs) Beer is my favorite beer in the whole world. Your country is a a beautiful country. and It's vast of natural resources as well. And and I do hope that your country will will get its uh, leadership to serve the people better so that you can also, uh, you know, Better potential education and opportunities to come outside and see the world as well.
1: Mm, right. I also want to backtrack to what you said about when you had to make the logical decision to just release your assets and call your business off, was it tough? Like especially since you said you did not you were not the sole owner, you have multiple stakeholders. How did it go? Like
0: when you start a business it's always with good intentions. And you assume things will go wrong, uh, go go right, Mm -hmm. right? Whether you start a tiny business, one or two people with no investment, or if it's a big investment, a shareholders agreement is key. And a shareholders agreement outlines the right, who is the CEO, who's the owners. And in certain events as a default, or uh, you want to quit the business or somebody wants to sell the shares, whatever it regulates. What can do and who has a first right of refusal to make the business operate like smoothly among its owners. But however, you know, you start a business because you want it to go well. And when things, unfortunately, when events happen, the world changes, COVID hits, people are going to lose money and people don't like to lose money. Yeah. And friendships uh, can be put on pulse uh, while you try to clearly separate friendship and business. Business is business. And everybody gotta act in their own and their ultimate beneficiaries' best interest. Mm-hmm. Let's say my interest uh, is might be the ultimate interest of myself, my girlfriend, and my family, and my partners have the same, right? Sure. And I got things in going on in my life, and they might have things going on in their lives. And it, just imagine, you don't know me well. We met playing chess a month ago. Um, okay. You had no idea of all the things that I've gone through in my life. I I have still no idea pretty much, Andreas, who you are other than that you're from from Indonesia. Absolutely. So I would say there's always three sides of a story. It's your story and their story and the truth. So everyone is always going to spice a little bit to make people biased or they have an agenda, to put it like that. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that our background as Northern Europeans are quite civilized we are as vikings not as aggressive we ask (laughs) questions first yeah instead of kill and then ask the questions you understand yeah so let's say that it has been a lot of uh, wealth that has disappeared in orderly manner but it has definitely impacted personal relations And they will be impacted for a prolonged period of time. And this as an individual, it's very, very tough to go through because you know, ultimately, even though it was maybe not 100% your own fault, you might be as the CEO or a legal representative as I am, and act for this company, I am the liable person. Mm. I am the one that got an answer for the mistakes. And that is what i'm doing um and that is what i have continues to do and, and now they are being sold however i do not discourage doing business with friends but keep communication clear things keep things transparent and failing to plan is like planning to fail. it sounds
1: like you felt the way you ended things could have been better with the business that you had to close do you think if you were to do it again there is something that you could have done
0: yes without getting too much details um, as in china there's a different business hierarchy there's a legal representative that has certain rights and within those rights i executed some of them without necessarily informing the other shareholders which was fully within my right however the consequences once things go wrong out of those executive orders that i then made are the main reason for the problems that we are facing today between us on a personal level. So transparency, honesty, regardless how bad things get, there won't be a magic fairy coming to save you in the end when shit really hits the fan. So I keep saying plan for the worst, but I would say what I would do different would be, be more transparent Mm -hmm. to your partner so that you do not have any form of misunderstanding on strategy or allocation of capital or mm. funding.
1: So you are the master of your own decisions but whatever you do, first be transparent and the second is be responsible of the outcomes. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yes, to a certain certainly agree. Like, you have to understand that running a business is like a knife fight in a prison yard. Every day. Mm-hmm. People are trying to kill you and you're trying to kill other people in terms of putting them out of business and they're trying to put you out of business. You gotta, regardless of how skilled or capable you find yourself, you gotta be humble and you gotta understand that you cannot take them on alone. If you are lucky to have partners, be honest to yourself about what are your real strengths and leverage their strengths and advice and make mutual decisions in difficult times. Don't put it all on your own shoulders. And think that you are the only one that as the leader of an organization that's going through difficult times that is your sole responsible a leader of an organization is actually responsible to the board of the company and in the power invested in the CEO and chairman which I was at the company I might have overused my power I could have consulted and maybe got approval for the decision the same decision or together consulted and reached a better one however in an ever-changing fast market so technology driven like china you gotta make these decisions quickly the only thing i would in hindsight do would be consult my partners on more day-to-day key decisions instead of assuming i was qualified to make decisions i i turned out not to be
1: I kind of just came across this concept as well, like last month when I was uh, watching a a YouTube video about leadership, right? The idea is just like, as a leader, you're not supposed to be the smartest person in the room, but you're supposed to be the one who is to know who is the smartest person in the room. So I kind of resonate with what you're saying. You were supposed to involve more stakeholders into the decision that you made and that could perhaps lead into a more desirable result
0: i would say that your statement about leadership was almost perfect but you could say it better in a way that a good leader does not have the answer but he asks the right questions and without going too deep what that means is that as a leader you should really value the talent in your company your company is only worth the people that's in it and you should never tell qualified people that are more qualified in certain fields of your work what to do you should ask the questions why you do certain things so you together can make qualified or sound decisions based on that when times get rough leaders who might have had financial gains and successful businesses in the past and deals might think that you might have the answers to everything. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that you should trust the people around you because you hire them. Mm -hmm. And if you ask the right questions, they will guide you to the hopefully right decision. I like that.
1: This is something that comes after a crisis. (laughs) A post-crisis enlightenment. Let's just talk about facing adversity in general, Like, how, how do you manage to, to just be able to cut your losses, tell to yourself that, okay, suck it up, now it's time to move on, right? Because it's really easy to say to a person like, okay, you made a mistake, deal with it. But when you were the one who committed the mistake, you tend to dwell, right? So do you see yourself as a person that dwell on mistakes or you think this is not a problem for you?
0: A man? is only in true self when he faced adversity. Yeah. So during adversity which means different times pretty much you show your real character. That might stick with you for the foreseeable future but just remember that all failures eventually become funny. What do you have to do to get through a crisis you say? You have to innovate and adapt. And luckily, I have been able to see firsthand such a transformation occur through my girlfriend, who's an astonishing woman, who has true hard work, determination, and faith been able to realize her dreams despite having a good privileged base like myself. So if she can do it, with her background any indonesian can do it too and what happened i was very lucky to meet my beautiful girlfriend who comes from south america and she was asked if she wanted 20 years old to go and leave her home country and the safety of her family and go to china to start a modeling career and my girlfriend had never been outside brazil and when I met her five years ago, uh, she, she was in China working still. Then she had been in Singapore, she had been in Thailand, she had been in Indonesia, uh, around. And Bali was the thing that connected us. My girlfriend has worked in Europe over the past years and also in Mexico. And, and she's also been in small stints in America. But what happened as a model is that travel restrictions massively impact your work. You cannot go to India to shoot a commercial. You can maybe not go to Italy to do this fashion show. So what did brands do to adapt? Well, they started doing live streamings. You know, in China, they have Bilibili, they have TikTok, they have Instagram live. And um, this has revolutionized the online shopping experience because there are girls and guys around the world, rich and poor that are told to stay put in their homes. They still want to buy some clothes. They want to be cool. Well, you don't today, Buy magazine. When was the last time you bought a magazine and you looked at a beautiful girl in a magazine centerfold commercial for Dolce & Gabbana? That's a long time ago. But I'm sure that you saw Instagram Live or a YouTube video or a Weibo post or something very recently that incorporates lives. So what companies have done is they started selling live. And my girlfriend adapted. She is currently cooperating with some very, very big multinational companies and does live streaming. And as a model that can speak several languages, maybe not Chinese, you can be in China, which is the factory of the world and do live streaming. If you're lucky to have a visa and you can get commissions from companies, or you can maybe even design your own sweaters and t-shirts, cheaply set up a company and start selling. And she has um, gone from very inactive months during the COVID worst period here in China to being in a position where she's now able to provide for herself in a way that she hasn't been able to over the last 10 years. So I would say that, what do you do in difficult times and how do you overcome adversity and failure? First of all, you gotta adapt. Second of all, you gotta go into yourself and be true to yourself and say, who are you as a person in adversity? And that will will show. I didn't handle things correctly, but in hindsight, I am able to be honest to myself and say that I learned from it and I won't do the same mistakes again.
1: I really love your statement when you say failures will eventually be funny. Uh, yeah, I guess when you are failing, it's really hard for you to see some comedy out of it, but it does really play out as funny when you think back, like just as simply, like today, this second, if you were asked five years ago, whatever failures you've done, you really did
0: find it funny, (laughs) right?
1: So I'm really 100% agree to what you
0: said just now. So, you being here, being Indonesian, in our home, where we invited, where you kindly brought a a bottle of wine. I have done my own podcast a little bit. I really enjoyed talking to you. um, I really hope that I can inspire people just to to follow their dreams and, and don't do it for financial gains, do it for your passion. Yeah. I do not know of anybody that can um, with handle hand of their heart say that money gives happiness. What gives happiness is following your passions, doing your passions, executing them and finding your purpose. And if you are lucky, it took me 37 years to find mine. So if you're lucky to find it before, I, I admire you. But uh, I would say that some of the most interesting people that I've ever met in my life are a lot older than me and they still don't know their purpose here today. So um, don't settle or don't compromise. Yeah, at least for my
1: 24 years of life, I just knew that one of my passions would be to talk to people. And especially people like you, <laughs> coming from different backgrounds, having very vast, numerous experiences. That's really exhilarating for me to, yeah, to have a chat with you. Especially over this wine. It's pretty good.
0: <laughs> Tell me about the wine. So this is Australian wine. As a 36-year-old, as <laughs> wine is something that once I got 30, I started appreciating. Right. And Penfolds, which you were kind enough to, to bring, is an Australian winery, which uh, has a lot of different wine. But you bought the Kununga Hill Shiraz Cabernet, which is a perfect wine for a slightly chilly October night. So uh, I want to thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I hope I have uh, not talked too much. I want (laughs) to answer some more questions. But all I want to say to you is that I met one person in Indonesia four years ago that made me do a very good act. I had rented together with my beautiful girlfriend a villa in Bingin Beach, which is close to Uluwatu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you arrive in Denpasar, you, you turn right at the roundabout, you go up the hills and towards Uluwatu temple and Bingin Beach will come. It's beautiful. And this girl come from very humble beginnings in Indonesia. And uh, At the time, my business was doing well and, um, and she for the third time hosted us and she made breakfast to us, she made the house beautiful clean. And she was genuinely happy, like most Indonesians, Bali (laughs) Bagus. It's something special that you Indonesians have, and you should really treasure that. I was in a position to help this girl get an education. But unfortunately, the only person that I have ever known that experienced family death due to COVID was her and her dad. Mm -hmm. I got a phone call uh, two weeks ago from her crying that her dad had breathing problems and he lives in uh, North Bali, which is not as equipped medically as maybe Denpasar. So he went to one of the clinics, which in your country, I believe is free. And they, they gave him uh, the information that this is severe and we got to move you to Denpasar. And unfortunately, and I'm very sorry to bring this news, but he passed away on the way there. But I do hope that... <laughs> Your country gets through this difficult period. I know that people have difficult life mm-hmm. in Indonesia. That people live close together. Uh, it's mm-hmm. similar in Brazil. And all I want is for us to uh, to stop being enemies of import uh, of unimportant issues and rather start asking the right questions so that we can, you know, benefit <laughs> together from our problems. Yeah. Uh, your country is amazing, and I, I really, yes. really hope that uh, that Indonesia has this bright future that yeah. you deserve. Let's go to Bali once
1: this whole pandemic thing ends. We better do. Bali bagus. Alright. Firstly, thank you so much for the kind words. Yeah, I do enjoy talking to you as well. I find your stories very fascinating, which is why I decided to ask you out on a podcast in the first place. Just to wrap up our long conversation, which you have been so kind enough to share your knowledge and experience. I feel like you are in a place right now where you are very comfortable with life. You have a decent job, you have a very beautiful girlfriend from Brazil, and you also seem to have your passion. You now find uh, yourself in martial arts, working for a martial arts company and a big one in, you know, at it, UFC. Who doesn't know UFC? Is there anything else that you feel like you want to pursue in life? Like I feel like you're now in a very prime stage.
0: Yeah, and that's why I will live in the moment and I will go where the wind takes me because um, people, I guess, have goals in their lives and they change as you grow up. But when you see people you care about, their dreams starting to materialize and if you end up through failures or successes, whatever it is, as long as no means next opportunity and you keep fighting, just remember you live once and hard work will pay off. For me personally, four months ago, there was no light in the tunnel and now I'm in a state where I feel more equipped than ever to, uh, to succeed my advice my final words will be get out of your comfort zone try something new because you never know what doors will be open but if you lock yourself in if you don't socialize that's a choice you make yourself if you go out everybody suck at everything the first time they do it but progress Equals happiness, and if you can find one thing that you get happy from progressing at, stick with it, be in it for the long term. I've been taught, failure makes you humble, interaction with humans open doors, and confidence make you an attractive conversation target. So many things that I agree with you.
1: <laughs> and especially just to add on a little bit, you know, I feel like COVID has closed a lot of doors, but... As it's just the natural cycle of life, when some doors are closed, some others will be open, right? Just like what your girlfriend has done. You know, maybe live fashion show is no longer accommodating right now. So what she does is now streaming online, which, you know, has done her pretty well, right? So find your niche, find your expertise. Don't be afraid of the challenges. And my favorite quote of this episode will be failures will become funny eventually
0: and to finalize the podcast be honest to yourself because if you're not the only one you fooling is yourself eventually right right okay
1: okay christian thank you so much for coming i i don't know what else to say i i think i can talk to you for more than two hours but i'm afraid this episode has to end here for
0: now we can definitely make another session next time with another bottle of wine If Indonesia likes me and you bring me a Bintang, I'll be down for episode two. Okay, that's a deal.
1: I'll bring you some Bintang bottles and that's another episode. Thank you very much, (laughs) Andres. It's a pleasure to uh, have you here and thank you for having me on. Yeah. Pleasure on me too. Okay, so for the listeners, that will be the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you get a thing or two. I know we kind of digress
0: a little bit here and there, but <laughs> we just enjoy ourselves too much and with the bottle fine too. Your host Andreas is a little bit drunk and now I'm taking him out to have another beer with me and my friends. Uh-oh. Goodbye, in Indonesia. I love you. Balibagus and salamat datang. <laughs> <laughs> All right. okay as always i hope you have a good day
1: have a good weekend and an even better one ahead bye bye
0: bye bye